1: Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.
0: Hello, my finest of friends, and welcome to another retro Hollisterper. You know what the deal is here. It's a chance for you to catch up on podcasts you may have missed or that you may have heard and loved. It's a chance to share them with your friends. These are the best of the best. It's the place to start, and then you can go. And once I've given you the opening, you can go and find your own way through this huge amount of podcasts. I suggest starting at one and working your way through from there. The more people who listen to these, the more money we make, the more podcasts we can make. It's a beautiful system, so do spread the word if you can. And this podcast this week is my favourite ever. Rahalastapa. And I think also my favourite day on the planet Earth, given I've been married and have two children, that is a big claim, but I stick by it. This is where I got to meet... I'm tearing up even thinking about it. This is where I got to meet my absolute hero and luckily also the, the nicest man in the world, just as you expected him to be. Sometimes they turn out not to be nice when they look nice it's the wonderful Sir Michael Palin. What an absolute joy to talk to him. The thing I most remember about this, aside from what a gleeful, terrifying thing it was, was it was the last podcast live recorded before we closed down for the pandemic. We closed down a week earlier than everyone else, but we did do this one. And my terrible fear was that Sir Michael Palin might contract Covid while he was out doing this, having quite recently had a major operation. Uh, I could have killed Sir Michael Palin. Thank God I did not kill Sir Michael Palin. Instead, I got this wonderful interview with him, which I'm sure you'll enjoy just as much for what he says as my obsequious glee in meeting him. Let's sit back, relax and enjoy the wonderful Sir Michael Palin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who has just retired from his most lucrative job he's ever done. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Oh, hello London. Oh, it's good to be back. Series 19. It's Series 19. They recommissioned me for another Series a few days have passed for you people at home, but it's been months for us, and not it? It's been months since I last did one of these. Uh, uh, welcome uh, to Richard Herring's Lobbing Sixpences and Tuppences podcast. Uh, it's, if you listen to the Sarah Pascoe podcast, there was uh, a room that I've decided just to embrace because people are, that I like to throw coins in the face of my lovers. Uh, so we're just. It's going to be a podcast about that. I don't know if our guest was ready for that. Uh, but. Uh, I was hanging around on, uh, Twitch yesterday, uh, <laughs> 320,000 people came on, they were just annoyed that I wasn't playing the game and talking about it, uh, they call it Relastopus. I don't know if that's gonna catch on, yet. Yeah, la- yesterday was, uh, my last ever Wednesday International Men's Day Day, <laughs> uh, it's all over, it's all over, thank God it's over, uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. I've sent out the last time that I'm ever going to do it. We, I think we've, we've got some plans to do something else. I'm going to try and make men celebrate International Men's Day. That, that's going to be harder, isn't it, than <laughs> doing what we did. But, uh, yeah, we, pardon? <laughs> when, I don't know. I don't do it. I don't do that anymore. The, the minute I stopped, the information just left my head. So, uh, But, anyway, thank you very much if you watched that. We might start doing some stuff on Twitch with uh, the podcasts as well, the various podcasts. Uh, so you might be able to watch these live at home. We'll see. Soon. We will see. Uh, And I'm wearing a suit tonight like I always do, and these, so that's nothing... (laughs) trying to impress anyone here. Uh, uh, I'm going to not dick around too much at the start, uh, so that will make the people at home happy. Uh, I feel like a child who has won a competition, uh, and if my family has organised this because I'm secretly dying and I don't know about it... (laughs) (laughs) I, I'm pretty cool with that. It's been worth it. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Uh, so, let's, without further ado, uh, will you please welcome my guest tonight? He's probably best known <laughs> as Gary in Robbie the Reindeer Close Encounters of the Herd Kind. We <laughs> we're getting the whole cast back together. Don't worry about that one. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome Sir Michael Palin? <laughs> We've already shaken hands, he's already got it. <laughs> We've already got it I mean, I really hope I don't give you the coronavirus, Michael. That would be that would be:
2: I don't know how long coronavirus jokes are going to work. Really.
0: No. Well, it's fun now, this is going to go out in, a, in sort of about yes. early May, where there will be many people will have died by then. So it's yeah. like it's going to seem this very what... insensitive. This is
2: like the crossrail of comedy, isn't it? It's going to go out in about three years' time. No, yeah. four. Anyway.
0: How are you? It's, it's so lovely to have you here. Thank you very much um, indeed.
2: I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. It's, it's an intoxicating atmosphere. <laughs> I could tell as soon as you went on, there were a lot of intoxicated people here. <laughs> <laughs> but how nice and very friendly it seemed.
0: Well, they are, they are, are friendly. They? Don't get too close to them, even on a non-coronavirus <laughs> day. Uh, no, so... well, lovely. Uh, there's one question I want to ask you right at the start. I want to get this out of the way. Um, it's not that. It's Mike, so Michael Palin. So no, Michael no. Palin. No, I, I, Sir I'm Michael not. Palin. No, no. I, it's no. not the what they they're, no, they're, I'm from they're awful people. Um <laughs> Will you be my dad?
2: <laughs> well, you know, let's have a go. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to you... be tricky. A little bit of rewriting history, but you yeah, know, I wouldn't be. Put it this way. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be embarrassed by having you as a child.
0: Oh, that's oh. nice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't call you Richard, though. I think i will call you would, something else.
0: What would you have called me? Dick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good <word>. My dad's <laughs> So still it's al- almost Richard, but, yeah. you know,
2: it just kind of has a... Well, an, you know, it's
0: got a nice ring to it yeah. somehow. <laughs> Dick Herring, doesn't it? I think it's great. Uh, my dad's still alive, but I'd still prefer to oh have dear. you as, the, as my... Oh. And I can throw in my mum, who... Uh, she's 83, and she looks a bit like Bobby Robson, the ex-football master. Yeah. But she's... Honestly, she looks like she's 55, I'd say. Do,
2: do you tell her this? Uh, yeah, occasion? yes. Yeah. You remind me of Bobby Robson.
0: I think had, I should have brought a picture, because then you could, that could have swung the deal. If you'd see yeah.
2: My, my mum looked more like Chris Wilder. Right. <laughs> Well, she did. She's dead now. You know who Chris Wilder is? Probably I don't know who knows. He's the no. manager of Sheffield United. Was he? Yeah. My football team. Are they your team? Someone well. asked
0: me to ask if you're Wednesday or United, so that's yeah. been dividing Sheffield. That yeah, that's it. So United. Yeah. Um, oh, you're going to ask me. Sorry, yes.
2: No, I made the terrible mistake of, of because I'm from Sheffield, yeah. and you're from Yorkshire as well, come to London, I was in London 40 years ago or something, 50 years ago, and I love Sheffield. Also, any time a Sheffield team beat a London team, I didn't mind. But you go back to Sheffield, you cannot support both of them. No. You are a visceral traitor if you <laughs> try to support one or the other. Yeah. They hate it, because they hate each other more than they hate anybody else. Yeah. And at the moment, there's a great deal of hate around, because Sheffield Wednesday are sort of falling apart. Beaten 5-0 by Brentford, well,
0: yes, which is well. just on
2: the way to the airport. That's all <laughs> that is, you know. What, was other, what else happens at Brentford?
0: Yeah. I um, used to work in Brentford. I worked in a, ma- a company that manufactured parts for lighthouses in Brentford. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my <laughs> first jobs. <laughs> which, which 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 parts? It was uh, <laughs> sort of, I think, the top bits or the I little think, bit, like a bit? the lights. I'm guessing. I, I had to. I was dealing with invoices. I didn't ever see any of the actual merchandise.
2: Well, it's funny you should say that yeah. because my <laughs> <laughs> my mother's grandfather invented, I think, the revolving light in lighthouses.
0: Wow. Yeah. Was it just static before then? I mean, it's... No, no, I mean, it's, it's sort of bloke who ran
2: around with a thing, yeah. You know? But then they got a machine that's It's helped.
0: sort of fine, it being static, isn't it? Because then people can see it's there. If it's moving, there's a point when people can't see it. It's like yeah. Russian roulette for boats. Yeah, yeah. sort of. So. yeah.
2: And it means if you're on the shore, you yeah. don't want a bloody
0: light shining at you. That's true. In the middle of the
2: night, do you? That's true.
0: I'm not a ship! Out that way! <laughs> Good. Uh, I, this, is, this is quite a big deal for me, Michael. You're, I think you're... Um, my prob- me too, me too. Yeah,
2: It's no, no. <laughs> a bigger deal than you
0: might I'm, think. I'm doing quite well. Uh, I'm kind of in awe. You're, I think you're my ultimate comedy hero out of everyone <laughs> I've, uh, I've the ever... The last comedy hero. Um, <laughs> who would that be for, for you? Would you would, would there have been someone for you who... I know you like the goons.
2: Well, yes. Uh, it probably would be Spike.
0: Yeah. But you did interview Spike. So I saw you interviewing Spike on uh, the Comic Roots you did. Which, yes. I, which I re-watched.
2: I mean, Spike was just so utterly and completely legendary because when I was at school, um, the Goon Show represented something that was I mean, was nowhere else in, in an entire sort of panoply of the media um, that that sort of was silly and absurd. Yeah. And the fact that it was on the BBC Home Service, which is full of people in, you know, black tie, reading the news and all that, and suddenly it was another Goon Show. And for for half an hour, it was just very, very silly, inspired stuff, grown-ups yeah. being extremely silly. I thought, this is what I want to be when I grow up. Well, I don't want to grow up, really, I basically <laughs> want to be like that. So Spike, and, and I grew up in Sheffield, and, and I no idea or any sort of likelihood of ever going into showbiz of any kind. Yeah. But we became very interested in the writers of shows, Writing was—I always thought that's the key thing. Yeah. And Spike wrote most of the Goon shows, not all of them by any means. Yeah. Um, So that made him quite a hero. And and the more I learned about Spike, the fact I got to know him was just absolutely wonderful because he's a difficult man, Spike. Yes. Um, And uh, you know the fact that that we we became we became friends despite everything. In fact, at one. there was one show, it, it, was a, it was an award show and Spike was being given an, a, a major award, I think it was some, some, some for lifetime award and all that and we all got there and um, Spike's um, agent Norma Farnes, classic she was an agent for all these people um, she said, Spike's in a bit of a mood today, <laughs> can he sit next to you because he'd be alright, can you keep him quiet, oh, i try <laughs> and um on came It was one of those shows where you had a comedian came on first and did sort of 10 minutes yeah he didn't need the comedian to do 10 minutes but they'd been told this was a thing to do so this comedian comes on i can't remember who it was but but you know halfway through spike says very loudly who the fuck's this which must be the worst thing you can you can hear when you're up on stage um and uh, and yet there was a nice twist because they, they when Spike's award came up, he went up onto the stage and we all, everyone just stood up. It was just amazing, you yeah. know, sort of homage to the man. And um, he collected the award and he came and um, he just walked back and, and sat back in his seat and Norma leaned into him and said, Spike, why didn't you say anything? And and it was of tears in his eyes, he said... Oh, I couldn't think of anything to say. You know, which is just lovely, really. <laughs> yeah. Because, But he was like that. He was a sort of... Well, he was a bit manic-depressive anyway. Sure. But the fact that, at the most manic, Spike was some, one of the most inspired, imaginative, inventive writers I've ever
0: known. Yeah. You ended up in Comic Roots. You are interviewing him in the living room that you used to listen to the Goon Show in, though. That must have been...
2: Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the conceit of that was... That there was a show about where my comic... Where I began my comic... Where I began my comic life. So, so, it's a silly thing. You know, I'm oh, a comic life. Oh, that baby's laughing already. Um, uh, he's going to be a comic, Mrs. Palin. Uh, sorry, Mrs. Robson. But... Um, <laughs> Um, so we reconstructed this this room to look like the living room, and we had the same radio right. on which I used to listen to the goons. I'd kept it for some reason. Right. It was a wonderful one, those old valve radios. And we sat there and, and played a bit of the goons and panned round. There was Spike actually sitting there with yeah. me. And um, there was another nice mo- moment when he was... Again, he could be very touching. And I said, Spike, what was it like, you know the goons inspired so much, meant so much to people like myself, a whole generation of schoolboys. And he said, oh, you know, it was like one good summer. And I thought, was again, very poetic, <laughs> yes. you know, because it, for him it was hell writing it, really. Yeah. But they were brilliant and it meant a lot to people. But one good summer, I thought, was just a nice sort of little moment, a sort yeah. of golden moment in life which had otherwise been
0: shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, he hadn't... I mean, we won't talk about Spike too much, but he did. I felt like he wasn't... Certainly at the end of his life, he wasn't appreciated in the way that he possibly should have been, and the BBC didn't treat him all that nicely. No, he
2: was running on different
0: rails to everybody yeah. else, really. Spike
2: yeah. was interested in everything, he was interested in trees, he was interested in wildlife, he was interested in history. I mean, just, just no-one could really keep up with him. Yeah. And I think that was that was kind of difficult, but that was also part of his skill and inspiration,
0: sure. I mean, I think it's interesting, because obviously Monty Python is a similar thing in to, in, in, uh, to the goons in that it's that inspiration, but it's also that coming yeah. together of the right people at the, uh, the right time. Yeah, but
2: Spike felt that Python, in his, you know, his more sort of um, depressive moments, felt that Python totally ripped him off. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's absolutely right. Um, LAUGHTER um, because in 1969, there was a show called Q5, yeah. which um, was one of a series of Spike programmes. It went on out on BBC Two. Nobody really saw much of it. But wonderful. they did, they did wonderful things. Like They would do one whole show. Uh, all the actors who appeared, there was a little caption would come up um, underneath as they performed. John Bluthall. Um, take-home pay, 48 pounds, 10 shillings. <laughs> Can you imagine that in Downton Abbey or something? Wouldn't it be wonderful? You know, that's, so, so, Jim Carter, take-home pay, 4,000 pounds. Um, and, um, and another one he did, one of the um, terrible fears in the BBC costume department was that somebody would go on, because it had happened once before, with the name of their costume still... Um, <laughs> Still sort of pinned to their to their garments. And this was you know, know, heads rolled and people were sacked and all that. So Spike did an entire show where everyone came on with enormous (laughs) labels (laughs) saying who they were. He just he was naughty. Yeah, he
0: was. Um I, I, I was thinking about, I mean, at Python's of where um, I, I sort of d- discovered you, myself, and I was, a, I was a, you know, I was the, more of the films than the TV show, because the TV show had sort of been on yeah. by the time I was able to... You're young. Stuff. I mean, you're young. I'm a little. Well, I'm you're not young, young you're, anymore. You're a babe, uh, babe. But yeah, I miss... Mm. And they never repeated things in those days, <laughs> so occasionally it would come on the TV, yeah, and my true. brother was very excited about it. He's five or six years older than me. Um, but it was it was Life of Brian especially, which I wasn't. I've got all the tapes and all the records, uh, and I wasn't allowed to go to see Life of Brian, but we went anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, And I don't know how we got away. I mean, I, I mm. assume my parents must have just... Sort of, we, we, we all went to Wells, where there was a cinema, and well, me and my friends, and someone came and picked us up, and we must have been pretending to do something <laughs> else. But I don't know how we, yeah. got, we, got, we got away with it somehow, and we got yeah, in. Right. And I think uh, we were allowed I mean, in. That's the
2: way to enjoy comedy, you know, yeah. as an illicit... But it was, but uh, it, but
0: that was. I mean, the whole of Python right. was sort of, was having a sort of slight crack at uh, the structure of society. But obviously, that was the big one in terms of daring to mock religion. But I was thinking about it the, last night, and I just I think it's where all of you were almost at the heights of your powers. I think it was the the one yeah. thing in Python where just everyone was. Graham was brilliant in it and was yeah. sober in it, and 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 really mm. did fantastically well. The songs, obviously, like or the song, the end song is one of the most famous songs. And and you're, I was thinking, because I was trying to think what's my favourite character you've done, and I really love the uh, nicest, wettest is the crucifixion. Oh, yes. Just, it's very underplayed. One cross each on the left, sorry.
2: (laughs) And what I, the best thing in that is when Eric comes along and uh, crucifixion, no, no, I've been told that I can go free and live on desert island. Yeah. And the centurion, who is a nice young man... He's from Rome, very liberal parents. (laughs) He's been sent to this god-awful part of the world where it's hot and the people are all sort of revolutionaries. And so it's just wonderful. And he says, oh, that's marvelous, that's great. And then the great line is Eric's, no, no, it's it's crucifixion, really, (laughs) oh, oh. Oh, yes. Uh... So he's been made out smart. <laughs> <laughs> he's been made to look a fool for thinking someone who could but be there free.
0: But uh, there must have been people like that. In you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, It obviously is a sort of anachronism, but it also there must have been people like that. Well, that it's must... such an understated, beautiful performance. But I think mm. then... You, I know the film so well, honestly. I, as a child, I, as a young man, I watched it so many times. I know it all off by heart. But it's almost like you think... <laughs> I'll, I'll start doing for you if you like. Yeah. Uh, we'll get on to that. I'm going to do a few sketches <laughs> know about later. <laughs> um, mm. But... Uh, you kind of think, but that's the you're that character. You're the same guy who's Pontius Pilate, and you're the same guy who's the ex-leper. And you, obviously, I know it's you each time, but the, the characterization. I mean, I think you're the best actor in Python, but the characterization of each mm. of each one is so distinct and good. It's actually hard to believe that it's the same person playing the the, the lucky lucky bastard guy in the. Well, yeah, yeah. The...
2: I'm just, I just I really really enjoy playing characters. Yeah. You know, not. To me, the, the inhabiting... Oh, inhabiting God, that's a word I never thought I'd say. <laughs> Terrible, trendy word. I was inhabiting a character. But, you know, rather than just being the words and, and the jokes and yeah. all that, it was actually the person who was saying it and what, what, what were they, they were about. So, you know, Ben, who's been was stuck on the wall yeah. by the Romans and treated incredibly badly. He says, ah, Romans, they're a bloody good lot. You know, <laughs> they did this, that, they absolutely right. I, would de- I deserved it, you know, and all that. And there are sort of people like that. Yeah. And that was the key, to, the key to writing Life of Brian, was not sort of, let's sit down and see how we can mock religion or shock people. Um, let's see how we can take that story and, and do the trick of transposing people we all know in um, you know in our, our world today, back to that world then, because I'm sure people weren't all that different. Yeah. So you've got the cheeky Cockney. I mean, he wouldn't be Cockney; he'd be a cheeky Aramaic or something like that. Yeah. But it's still the same sort of character. Yeah. You know. Um, no, no. I'm, uh, no it's exclusive, really that Um And all, and all those ca- all those characters were sort of based on on somebody who who wasn't sort of, you you know. You, you explored what they were like, and you you, yeah. you worked that, usually for only about three minutes. You didn't yeah. get long to develop characters in Python, but it was a sheer joy to do it, and to do so many characters
0: in the film was Did was it feel wonderful. at the time that you were making something that special? I mean, I, do, I just feel everyone's at the top of the game. The writing's brilliant. I think all the performances are brilliant. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, and,
2: I think it was certainly the best thing that we did, because it was the most consistent, and it was about something, and it was um it was comfortable you know we were we had a bit of money thanks to george harrison who had given us five million quid to yeah. make the film five million dollars actually mean bastard <laughs> <No>. um <laughs> um and whereas the holy grail which i think had a lot of very funny stuff in it was desperately underfunded and pretty grim to do and was shot <laughs> in scotland and it was very cold and very dirty I had to play one character in in the Holy Grail called the Mud Eater. (laughs) And um, because people were so poor, they ate the mud. (laughs) And it was a scene where the the villagers were all there and in comes um, Graham and John coming in rather grandly. I thought it was was Graham and Eric. Anyway, uh, the king coming through the village. So as he came in, um, the Mud Eater was supposed to crawl across... Uh, the foreground of frame and go to one side and start eating mud. Start eating mud. And so I, yeah, I remember asking is, is, um, I mean what I'm sort of, what am I eating?
0: <laughs>
2: and the props guy said don't worry Mike, don't worry Mike, it's chocolate. It's chocolate. There's lots of bits of chocolate grated up, uh, but all around it there'll be mud. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever tried to just differentiate me, chocolate and mud? So, so most of it was mud and... and <laughs> And for some reason, we did take after take and it didn't, it didn't work. I did about ten takes. And, and a lot of this stuff was, was probably full of tetanus and God knows what. Anyway, I did it. And it was, it was the others who were messing it up. Not me. I was brilliant. Um, <laughs> for some reason, Graham, and they were getting the walk through. And, and we did the tenth take. And it seemed just brilliant, and I ate it, and I was terrific, and I crawled, and I looked miserable. And I, I was really putting all myself into a self-abasement. Um, and there's a pause, and I said, wow, that's great. And I heard one of the directors, I can't remember which Terry, but it was the one I hate most, which is probably, <laughs> probably Terry Gilliam. No, no. Uh, just say, no, sorry, we've got to do it again. Oh, and I said, why, he said, um, someone said, we could see Michael. i realized i've been doing all this no one was even seeing me it was just an idea that had come up in the read-through oh yeah michael you do that and i was working with the props guys i was getting it all right i was sore i was cut i was calloused i was bleeding and there wasn't even being filmed i mean sorry we could see michael isn't that what demeaning Sorry, I didn't mean to go off like that. I have a it's good okay. relationship with that. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, I love it.
0: It is funny, um, like, being a fan of the, the Piper stuff and realising that 35 years on, I can still remember, like, massive chunks of the stuff that I learned off the records, really. Mm. Do you still... Do, you, do people come up to you a lot and yep. expect yep. you <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah. expect Usually
2: to. in this theatre. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, no. yeah.
0: I mean, I I can start doing it. I wish to register.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. People do, and I I can never remember. No. I can never remember the lines. None of us can. We're always a bit outwitted when people come up and they say something, and and they say, well, that's quite funny. Where did you get that? (laughs) It's in your film. It's in your film. You're the servant, third servant. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. But, um, it's,
0: but it's, so, in, the, in Holy Grail, the constitutional peasant sketch. Oh, yeah. But the pleasure of that is the, the writing of it is so intense and presumably the learning of it is it initially is quite difficult. Yeah. You're not just listening to it on a record a thousand Moist times. Moisten bint with swords.
2: Yeah. But I know, oh, I, yeah. I know
0: it, it's uh, supreme yeah. executive power derives from a mandate of the masses, not some farcical aquatic ceremony. If I <laughs> claim to be emperor because some moisten bint had l- lobbed a scimitar at me... <laughs> I'd be like, taken away. So, I mean, yeah. That's yeah. that I fucking know yeah. it 30. I haven't looked at that thing for yeah, 35 uh, years. There you go. No, <laughs> no, no it's... No, yeah.
2: But it's, it all starts just with the resentment of the, yeah. the, of the peasants. But and it's, so it's not like, a sort of... It's, again, it's not political thing. The first thing is, he just says, Hey, old man, oh, I'm a 37. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not old, so immediately you've set up. Yeah. He's not going to get on with it. And what was so brilliant, I think, in both those films is Graham Chapman's performance. Yeah. I think he was absolutely extraordinary. Because, you know, all right, he was sober in, yeah. in uh, Life of Brian. He wasn't so sober in Holy Grail. <laughs> but he did manage to play this poor character, a bit like Brian, who's terribly put upon. You know, I'm just going, I'm trying to go on with my life. And I'm, I'm a king, I do this. A king who gave you... A mandate that, oh, <laughs> God, I don't want to, I'm just, just saying hello, you know. Where's the castle sort of thing? Yeah. And he gets into these conversations. So it's just the wonderful thing about power doesn't really get you anywhere yeah. <laughs> compared to the stroppy people you're trying to <laughs> lord it over.
0: And do you think... I mean, I, I've, I've went, I have a sort of theory about Python that, you know, that I think I know John and Terry Jones uh, often wound each other up a little bit. Is that fair to say? Yeah,
2: I mean, that was... Yeah, yeah, that's, that is fair to but say. Do you
0: think that, I mean, I sort of feel, when Terry died, <laughs> I sort of feel Terry was the sort of heart of Python and that he was the, yes, the sort of yeah. grit in the oyster that you needed in, in, in order yeah. to facilitate all of that. that sort
2: of... Well, yeah, I mean, Terry was very easily wound up, <laughs> particularly by John. John realised this early on <laughs> and scented a little bit of blood in the water. So, um, you know, if, if, if Terry got passionate, John would say something rude about the Welsh. <laughs> um, and, and he was very good at being rude about the Welsh. Um, not an admirable trait at all. No. But that was it. So Terry would just, you know, because Terry passionate. Terry loved things and loved the way to do things. And when someone didn't understand what he was trying to say and send him, well, he got terribly frustrated. But only for a minute. Then we'd all laugh afterwards. And it was part of the dynamic of the whole. Uh, the whole writing process, all of us came from slightly different angles yeah. and wrote different characters or wrote different ways. And that was really, really important. If it had all been sort of a, an homogenous Fair. mass, it wouldn't have worked.
0: Yeah. And you, you sort of... I mean, you chose to work together, but it was sort of almost... almost thrown together. It was just like a group... You know, John wanted to work with you, is that right? And then you bringing in Terry and...
2: Um, yeah, I mean, John... Liked what Terry and I had written, and, and and Eric too, and we liked what he and Graham had done. It was it was very much a sort of um, experiment. John just didn't. John felt there was something to be done in comedy that was different. Yeah. But actually, who made it different was actually was Terry. The two Terrys actually. Yeah. Um, John was terrific sketch writer. He and Graham wrote these wonderful sketches. I mean, the pet shop, cheese shop, all that sort of stuff. Um, but um, it, was the, it was Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam who, who, who kind of had a concept. And, and Terry's idea, Terry Jones' idea, was it should be stream of consciousness, sketches could you know, end wherever they wanted. Um, we wouldn't have to do the traditional sort of gag uh, tagline at the end because we had Terry Gilliam, yeah. who was so brilliant, yeah. fresh, and original... And he would just go to animation. He would do these wonderful little animated links. So there was a kind of story that one was writing in those half hours. But no-one had written it quite like that before. Mm. So I think the two terriers were the ones who made Python really distinctive. But, of course, John is... And everyone, John was just absolutely brilliant as a performer... Because John looks like the authority figure, he looks like the bank manager, he looks like you know the, the, the politician, he looks like the Freemason or whatever, yeah. and undermines them absolutely brilliantly. <laughs> so that's what's so, so fantastic. A lot can happen in the next three
1: years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times
0: Have you seen the uh, the film Sliding Doors? Not all of it. No, no. no. You know, no. there's a bit. There's a bit. I know, I know. they pay bit. you? A, did they pay you for using a massive bit of your script? No,
2: of course they didn't.
0: I'm not going to pay you for doing that. that You've got
2: a legal. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're interested about these things. I but I'm so. I
0: mean, there's a lot of things that make me angry about Sliding Doors, and this isn't the main one. Oh really? But it's but it's (laughs) it's one of the main ones. Yeah. In that, uh, John Hanna manages to seduce Gwyneth Paltrow by reciting the Spanish Inquisition sketch. Really? And any of Monty Python fan out there will tell you. That, that has never worked as a seduction technique <laughs> <laughs> for any man. Certainly not yeah. for Gwyneth. Gwyneth. Paltrow isn't going to go out with someone who knows all the w- the work. she go, write your own f- fucking stuff. Stop copying the Spanish Inquisition. Say, he doesn't even do it very well, Michael. That's what annoys me. I would have done it much better.
2: It's the, it's the Gwyneth Paltrow thing, to interest me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I I mean, you should have given I mean, it a I go, you were the actual guy. I don't guy. know, I imagine I don't if know, know about them. Gwyneth
2: Paltrow, but I wouldn't have gone straight for Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought this is the person.
0: No, this isn't the...
2: Some, somebody else, you know. Yeah. Judy Dench, possibly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Judy would have a great laugh at this. Yeah. But Gwyneth, I'd have thought, hello, no, it keep didn't... it a little bit more sort of... Yeah. vaginal. <laughs> <laughs> so those were the days, yeah. uh, those were early days. What do I know? Nobody me... expects of a final candle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no one did expect see, yes. it, to be fair. <laughs> there's an audience here. Yeah, it's worked.
2: <laughs> Maybe there was something there. But
0: um, anyway. He improvised the whole new scene to Life of Brian backstage, yeah. so, you know, you, <laughs> you're going to have to look <laughs> at your extras. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. what. They're... I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Let's talk I about... Mean, I... The, the problem with you, and we've got an hour, is that you've done, I would say, seven careers very adeptly in your life, and uh, so your career a... being the last one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, that's uh... that was very rude. <laughs> but you've re- I've, I was listening to Erebus, your fantastic your sort of history book, with, with, uh, about uh, the ship that Erebus, yeah. which I didn't know anything about. Um, uh, what I like about your interest in history is that, uh, like, well, a you're a character, you're sort of a part of the of the, the book in that you're you're going back and and seeing all these places and, and yeah. revealing what you think about it as well, which I think is a very interesting way of writing a book. But I, I like the way you home in on the small historical details, which is I guess is sort of what you do in Python as well. But there's you talk about the guy who had been in the Battle of Trafalgar, I think, and would walk around London with a ship on his head, recreating the yeah, Battle of Trafalgar. Yeah. That's yeah, a so great ca- character yeah. to spot out of history. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy who uh, chokes on a piece of beef that he's thrown up. it something like that, isn't it? There's yeah, a, it, I mean, oh, they're, they're <laughs>
2: all, there are wonderful things in, in the research, yeah. which actually... Um, what, what always attracts me are the, are the little eccentric stories. I mean, not not... I mean, I, I quite like the, the big idea of the journey of the Erebus to Antarctica, the fact that nobody knew anything about that journey. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I read history. And no one ever told me. And they were there. You know, a little sailing ship goes to Antarctica, the first ship to circumnavigate Antarctica. They're there for four years. They come back um, with hardly any illness on board. Nearly everyone, all of them, still alive. It's a truly stunning story. But what interests me is when I started researching. It's just the little things like um there's one part where they're they're um, just in the ice sheet and they're they're trapped and there is a terrific storm and when there's a storm in the ice sheet the ice flows just sort of rise up and crack and it, it sounds a hideous thing and there's um the wind blows and at one point it blows a fish whack onto the side of the the, the ship on the deck you know, yeah. in the deck and um they all think this is amazing a ship that there's this Fish just sort of splattered there like sort of Tom and Jerry from <laughs> something like that. So they all get the um they say this is uh, this is remarkable. Um must go back and, and um get get uh, pen and paper and make a little sketch of this. And by the time they come back, the ship's cat has eaten. Yes. <laughs> <Just, laughs> the fact there's a ship's cat around about the North Pole still alive yeah. and eaten this thing. And then later to find out, and this was somebody I thought that was an amazing story anyway, but <laughs> somebody Read the book and said, "Did I know that this was not just an ordinary fish? This was a deep water um, ice ice codfish, right. and they're very, very rare, and very few people have ever seen them. <laughs> and there's a French textbook all about great f- discoveries of the, the, in the piscine world. <laughs> Is that the word? <laughs> <Piscine>. uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, piscatorial world. Yeah. And it mentions this this um, this uh, uh, fish that was blown onto the deck." of HMS Erebus, all in French, you know. E, du couvre le chat qui uh, <laughs> le mangeait. So it's in the history books, you know, yeah. this wretched cat, ate probably the only glimpse of this historic fish, which I think is absolutely brilliant,
0: you know. That cat's a hero in the cat history books, isn't it? yeah, the only cat yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: only rated the a Well, it we should be a hero. Yeah. It lasted the voyage as far yeah. as I know. Right. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. The fact they took cats and they took goats and on the voyage north to the Northwest Passage, um, John Franklin commanding his wife, Lady Jane Franklin, was a bit of a character, and she um, sent them a, um, a monkey. So this is what you'll need on a journey to the... <laughs> to the Arctic as a monkey it's called Jacko yeah so there we are I don't know what it did
0: they presumably oh well, that's Jacko now he's
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you alright Jacko <laughs>
0: oh a bit cold <laughs> the first monkey to go to the Arctic first monkey it's, it's, to go, he's, he's,
2: he's the hero th- in the monkey world maybe he's still a, his, his, his it's wonderful thing to think that his, his you know progeny may have they're still
0: around somewhere, and this is this is silly. Yeah, we don't <laughs> want to be silly. <laughs> what I, what I like about an audiobook is whether you wrote that you're reading your own audio book always fantastic. When the author reads it, so you get an extra dimension. In all of the history of, it would be nice if you could have that. Is there an author that you would like to have heard read their own books on an audiobook from the past when before this technology existed? Yeah,
2: yeah, I'd like to have. Um... I mean, well, there's Roman authors, mm. <laughs> Sallust and Cicero and Ovid and Seneca. They're all so brilliant. I used to think, you know, it's Rome, it's Latin. It was called at school. And I didn't get on well with Latin, right. but now I read translations of them, and they're wonderfully up to date and modern. And I'd love to hear, you know, how they how they read. Miss Ovid, how did Ovid speak? Ooh, <laughs> you know, some louder, some oh, yes, very some. Oh, was he did have a funny voice like that? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. Christy, could I do something? Oh, shut up, Bobby! Shut up, Bobby! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Cicero. Oh, I've got a lovely house in Rome. <laughs> we don't go there very often because we live up off the Appian Way. <laughs> Have you ever done it the Appian Way? <laughs> it's, it's quite exciting, really. Get on top of one or other. <laughs>
0: sorry good don't feel sorry for anything no, you've I, said I'm sorry. Uh, you must uh, I'm sorry. i don't want to do apologize my wife would be very embarrassed <laughs> We won't says, hey, let you her talk listen. too much we won't let her listen to it okay. It'll be fine. You, you're allowed to talk as much as you want uh, you've still not talked as much as brian blessed so it's um it's, <laughs> it's <fun. laughs> yeah, yeah, tell that's... me about the fact i didn't know this until i looked it up on wikipedia so it might not be true but it's t- in two articles on Wikipedia, that you were in the film You've Got Mail and got cut out of it entirely. Yes. Oh, good. Oh, that's the, no, this is I'm, the most unlikely thing no, that you'd be I'm, in that film. I'm, I'm very glad that you brought that up.
2: <laughs> because it's one of the most awkward, difficult and embarrassing moments of my, good. my entire life. <laughs> all right, OK. I got... Let's talk about this. Yeah, I don't want to know about it. Let, we're all grown up. Let's discuss what happened. I was offered a part in You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and...
0: Meg Ryan. Meg
2: Ryan, yeah. And uh, Nora Ephron got in touch with me and said, we'd love you to do this part, will you come over? And I went over to New York just for a costume fitting on (laughs) Concord. That's what sort of film it was. Then I come back and I get Concord again to go and do the acting bit. And I played a sort of character-like... A Thomas Pynchon, you know, one of those sort of mysterious characters in the the um, in the literary world in America who wrote brilliant books but was an odd character. Right. And I go into the shop at one point and fancy Meg Ryan and starts of
0: chatting her up. And uh, have a Spanish Inquisition sketch, that would have worked. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. They Mike. love it out there. Uh-huh. They love it. Maybe the uh, cheese shop she'd have liked. Yes, I think... Uh, Just your bits, no? I no, don't think no. so. I'm not quite
2: sure okay. I really got through to her. <laughs> Interesting to know what sketch you might have liked. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so we'll get over there, and it's a week, a, a most extraordinary week of, of super high-powered sort of American-style filming. You know, we... we, we um, the, the scenes we did were at night. We shot the Upper West Side. Whole streets were closed off. And the huge lamps came just for me and Meg <laughs> to do a scene, you know? And, and then we'd be there doing... The, and I'd be doing my words and she'd be doing this. And it was just absolutely colossal and wonderful and amazing. And Meg's husband um, that time was... I uh, can't remember who it would be, but one of these big American stars. Right who had a bit of a problem, I think, with the juice, but anyway. Okay. And he'd ring up rather a lot in the middle of... Well, not quite in the middle of a scene, but when we were just waiting around. Uh, How are you doing, Meg? And he said, oh, hi, honey. Oh, hi, yeah. uh, Can I speak to Michael? <laughs> <laughs> so I speak to this man. I can't, I can't remember. He's a, he's a great star. But sure. oh, don't, don't, don't. Don... Dennis Quaid, Quaid. Dennis Quaid. I was going to say Thank Dennis you. Quaid.
0: Absolutely. Dennis Quaid.
2: I knew, it was, I knew it was something drinkable. Anyway, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> and Dennis... Hi Michael, how are you doing? Uh, getting on all right? Yeah, it's that's fine. No, yeah, just I think I'm talking to Dennis Quay <laughs> and Meg's there waiting to do the scene, and there's huge lights all around us. So when I heard that I was cut, it was um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's quite, I
0: mean, you been. I'll in, tell you. I'll tell you about
2: just if I can yes, just break in in Brown Blessed fashion no, and tell fair. you how I found out. Um, this was about sort of six months later, and we were starting on a series called The Hemingway Adventure. And I, for some reason, decided to work with a new crew, and a new director. And this director came round for the first meeting with me, and he kind of came to my house. And said, And we just started, and the phone rings. And I pick up at the phone Oh, hi, Nora. It's, like, it's Nora Ephron. <laughs> you wow. can see his face. Say, wow. <laughs> And I'm saying, yep, hi Nora, oh. <laughs> oh, yep, yeah, no, not. Well, I, I, no. Well, I, no, I quite understand. I quite understand if it's not didn't work in the story terms. I can understand the tragedy. So at the end I put the phone down. Yes, that was Nora Oh, what did she want? She wanted to tell me that I've been cut <laughs> from You've Got Mail. And a very good friend of mine, uh, calls the still to this day calls the film you've got cut <laughs> 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 but i don't regret the week i spent in new york no it was absolutely wonderful i mean if
0: i'd been Ephraim, i would have emailed that to you that would have been funny wouldn't it?
2: <laughs> 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 yes and, uh, well uh, the probably <laughs> they talked about this a lot <laughs> yes. what shall we do honey Shall we just? Shall we just sort of tell him? We've got to tell him. <laughs> yeah, who's got to tell him? Can someone tell him? Do we have a lawyer? Can tell him? No, no. I'm going to tell him.
0: Yeah, he probably well, won't answer. They might have got away with if you hadn't seen. You know, you don't always see the things I've been sacked from. Sometimes, as a writer, sometimes you think I probably wouldn't have watched it. They didn't need to tell me that they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't yes. Use the thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> but no, it, it is an unfinished story. I've never. Maybe I've seen the film, but I wouldn't...
0: You know, it's not very see... good, Michael. That's why I'm surprised you... Uh...
2: Oh No, but you bring it up, because the interesting point is yes, I'd w- quite like to know why I didn't work. Yeah. You know? I would like to see... I don't think my performance was that bad, no. but it was fairly ordinary, and I wasn't sort of uh, inhabiting the
0: character <laughs> uh, that well. Is it not even in the deleted scenes on the DVD?
2: You see, like, you've got <laughs> <It's> so hurtful... <laughs> Straight, for the, let's,
0: let's, Straight uh, for the jugular. Let's do it. Okay.
2: Uh, was it not even in the deleted scenes? <laughs> for the Australian and Irish versions? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. And you're absolutely right. I feel like, you know, when Stalin really took to against people, <laughs> they just they were written out of history. They'd never even mentioned their name. Yeah. Do you have to even see the Michael Palin scene? Michael who? <laughs>
0: You did get your bits in some films though, so it's all right. You were in time. time you were in time. You are in Brazil. That was a fantastic, uh, yeah. yeah, fantastic performance in Brazil. It was. It must have been. I mean, obviously, it's the middle part of your diary. We might talk about your diaries. There's time is not. There isn't lots of time. Um, but you know, you had this this period where you yeah. were going out to Hollywood and, and appearing in, or you know, or in, you're hearing in much, films. Not much.
2: Not much really. Right. I mean, yeah. the Hollywood thing was was. <laughs> You've got <laughs> I
0: really yeah. I'm really. Yeah. I'm trying to lift it up no. now. This is I was no. trying to go
2: into the successes. No, I mean the good things that work well across the world, like like Fish Called Wonder yeah. and Brazil, were all shot here, right, and that yeah. was a, made a difference because yeah. they were shot with British crews. I'm sorry, yeah, that sounds terribly. Shot with British crews, <laughs> eating British food, <laughs> and voting up to keep Britain. Marie, <laughs> what is it? I can't remember anyway, you know, but whatever. I don't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but but it was a diff- there was a difference. It was kind of all the Python films, we worked very often with the same crew. Sure. Terry Gilliam worked with the same crew. And we had some wonderful, wonderful people, really excellent craftsmen, not just shooting it, but also doing makeup, costume, and all that. So um, there was a difference. I never really did Hollywood.
0: Um, well, but I, I, I sort of meant generally. You were you, know, you were you were a film star, I suppose, is what I was I was I was getting to. And you and yeah. say "Fish Called Wonder." You won the band yeah. for "Fish Called Wonder." Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> so amazing <laughs> film. Yeah, Brazil. Amazing film. "Time Bandits", is, uh, time Bandits is, is a film about time travel that I approve of, which yeah. is uh, very well, is very good. hard. to... know yeah. so you wrote as well? Well, I with Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Terry
2: Gilliam had the initial idea, so you should talk to him okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no that's that that was terrific I, I mean i'm very i had a run of films after Life of brian the meaning of life and then we did the, the missionary which is my own stab at uh, writing and uh, brazil and and private function which i loved the alan yeah. bennett film um that was that was a joy to do and again a great team and a great lot of actors there and working with maggie maggie smith sure. of the for the second time,
0: yeah. that's
2: quite something. I'm a lucky man. <laughs>
0: and I love to you also. Know, I think you went to do things like Saturday Night Live. I think you you host that four times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the story about you taking your mum. Your mum was in it as well. Right?
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, they um, I, for my mum's eightieth birthday, nineteen eighty eight. Would that be right? Yes, that's right. Um, no she was born in nineteen oh four. So eighty-four, sorry, nineteen eighty-four. Um, I decided I would take her to um New York. And I'd been asked to do um Saturday Night Live again. And uh, I thought this'll be good. i I'll, I'll take her and my sister and we'll all go over there. And uh we flew with my mum in Concord to New York. And I mean she'd never been on a well, she'd been on a plane once before. <laughs> But this was basically was 30 years since she'd been on a plane. Nice. And so we get to New York, and it's just incredible. I said, how about that, eh, Mum? She said, what do we do now? <laughs> I said, what do you mean now? I mean, wasn't that amazing? You know, three hours, eight minutes. Yeah, where, where, where someone come pick us up in a minute and all that. <laughs> Typical mother stuff. Yeah. I realised that she thought all planes travel to New York in three hours and eight minutes. <laughs> this is just what had happened since she last went on a on a. <laughs> Propeller flight to Le Touquet or wherever. <laughs> um, and so um, we took her there. But anyway, we had the meeting with Lorne Michaels, the producer, and everybody. And we were talking about my monologue, the opening monologue What Could You Do? And I, said, oh, and I said, Funny, enough, I forgot my mother's here with me. And Lauren thought it was a great idea. And I said, so I could bring my mother into the monologue. <laughs> And he said, that's a brilliant idea. She'd be the oldest host ever to come on Saturday Night Live. So at the age of 80, I wrote her, and she came on and did this show. Again, in front of... It goes out to about 50 million Americans, absolutely live. (laughs) Um, And she just thought it was, oh, that's very nice, dear, what do I do? I just sit (laughs) there, oh, yeah, yeah. So when I did the opening monologue, I'd come on and talk about the great thing about being in America, and she just say, adjust my coat and say, we you decided to wear that, did you, dear? Or something like that. <laughs> you know, so It was very touching, really. And she was so good at doing the opening bit that they gave us various other moments during the show to introduce <laughs> wild, heavy metal groups, you know, and all that. <laughs> and their names, the, um, the, uh, the Pixel or whatever it was, you know, and she, she did, she was just fantastic. Yeah. And I realised that she's not really on that planet at all. <laughs> it meant nothing to her. Um, so it was all new, and she was just sitting in a chair like I am now, forgetting she was on one of the most popular comedy shows in the world, live. <laughs> oh, hello, dear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was terrific. her finest and, hour.
0: And so you, you, you obviously were hanging out with the Saturday Night Live cast in that, that sort of period, 70s and 80s, I guess, was that? and That was the 80s in that particular There was a lot of hanging out. Yeah.
2: <laughs> hanging um, out. Mike, you, you want to hang out? Yeah, I'm going to hang out.
0: Because... You don't see it. you and John Belushi or you and, uh, you know. Ackroyd,
2: doesn't Ackroyd. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they had a quite, they were big party animals, sort I of think, at least to say, those, those guys.
2: Y- yes, yeah, they were. I mean, they had their own kind of world. I don't know where they came from, although Dan Ackroyd was very, was quite sensible right. and constructive in <laughs> his writing and that. Like. Belushi was a bit crazy. They were all terribly nice. They loved Python yeah. and all that. And Bill Murray was the one I, I got to know best of all. Oh, cool. Bill was just great. I mean, he'd say anything to anybody, but he was very bright and very sharp and all that. And we'd go out and eat. What they did, it was the writers, really, who were the wild ones. The, the writers right. lived on coke, you know. They yeah. wouldn't, so... You yeah, know, when we wrote Python, we worked nine to five, usually. I mean, maybe after that. Um, and these guys wouldn't start writing till nine in the evening and then it'd be nine to five in the morning
0: right, so yeah.
2: and they couldn't get anything done till they all got a little bit of so stoned and I was just sort of drinking a you know maybe a Budweiser or something <laughs> equally horrible <Yeah>. um <laughs> but not not at all damaging to the brain and they'd all be getting high and say hey what's well, a crazy idea and all that and sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't yeah. Yeah. but there were there were sort of it was a hit and miss Show, but a terrific experience to do because you know the great mess of the show that was rehearsed during the week, right up to the last minute. You do, we do a sort of dress rehearsal, and then there was an hour before you were on at ten thirty, live. Everything was live, and things would be changed. And Lorne would come round and say, "We cut that sketch. We cut this sketch. We're going to put you in that sketch. We're going to bring this up here." And this was just before, so it really was. The excitement, the absolute excitement of doing live, live television. Sure.
0: And were you hanging? You hang around a lot of musicians. Obviously, you mentioned the, the George Harrison. you're yeah. Good friends with and uh, uh, Keith Moon. I think I remember was came to see you when you were writing Life of Brian. Is that right? Is that in the diary? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Musicians have always had a kind of. Um, I've always got on very well with musicians. I love them and respect them, and I think they're just, I just I'm so in awe of what good musicians. Uh, and bands can do. But were, there was always a sort of connection with Python. I don't yeah. know, they, they liked Python. They sort of saw us as the sort of verbal equivalent of the music they made. And not life of... Um, sorry, uh, Holy Grail would probably not have been made if we didn't have various um, pop groups who'd put money in, like Genesis and... Uh, um, I can't remember who, who the others were, but there, there were... Um, three or four of the big groups at that time yeah. all put money into Python because was... they wanted to see it and all that. And, of course, George, who, as who, you rightly say, <clears throat> put money into um, Life of Brian after EMI, the big English company, had backed out because their head of, head of EMI had read the script <laughs> and said, you know, we can't, we can't do this. It's revolting, disgusting and immoral. And uh, George came up with five... $5 million, um, dollars, as I've said, yeah. and was asked why, you know, why? That's an awful lot, George. He said, well, you know, I just wanted to see it. <laughs> um, this is just great, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and George produced a, a, the Lumberjack song. We did a version of the Lumberjack song. <laughs> George was very keen on the Lumberjack song. Right. In fact, one of his aliases when he went around the world was Jack Lumber, so, so <laughs> you'd know, "Right to embrace <laughs> hotels... And we did the lumberjack songs uh, up all night doing it, and um, it, I think it, it peaked at about uh, forty-nine on the top fifty. <laughs> <laughs> forty-nine and falling. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, but let's no.
0: go. Can we talk a little bit about yeah. uh, uh, Terry Jones? Uh, and I just, I just think it's the the friendship you had with Terry is just uh, extraordinary lifelong friendship with, with, with Terry. Yeah. Which is really exemplified by the, the last few years of his life where you were just going to see him every week. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of, it's one of the most beautiful human lo- love stories that I've, like, well, I can think. But it's just so, it's so, when you, when you talk, you, you write about it on, on your website, I presume in your uh, diary about, uh, or you sort of wrote, wrote a eulogy to yeah. Um, mean,
2: uh, it. Yeah. I mean, it's, there are many relationships like that, I'm sure it's just because I suppose we were in the public spotlight and part of Python and all that, but I mean Terry was somebody I <clears throat> I just sort of admired when I first saw him at Oxford and he had a sort of this dark intense sort of um i say sort of Welsh passion, although Terry's great problem was he wasn't although he was born in Wales in Colwyn Bay he moved at, at say the age of about two and a half, to Isha in Surrey. (laughs) Um, And if you're you're a real passionate Welshman, Isha doesn't look good on your CV at all, really. (laughs) But there was something about Terry which I loved, and he was just interested in things, and he was good at things, and he had an energy, but he also had a way... He had a wonderful way of... of, 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 He was a wonderful friend, wonderful... he, he, He relished companionship and just being with somebody and hanging out. And I think that's terribly important. And We did a lot of work together and we wrote a lot and performed a lot together. But what I remember most of all was just hanging out with Terry, going to have a drink and things like that. You know, he loved, he loved his drink, he loved his food, he ran a brewery at one time um, because he always felt there was something he could do better than anybody else. But not in a, not in an unpleasant sort of um you know uh, arrogant way in any shape or form. It was quite the opposite. He was just he said, we've got to try this, we've got to try that, well let's do this, let's do that. And I was a little bit more relaxed and, and lazy and Terry pushed me into doing things I wouldn't have done before. So it was a very nice it was a nice relationship. Yeah. And we just got on it ever so well.
0: Um it's difficult though if you work, you know, I've been in writing partnerships, I've been in comedian yeah. partnerships. It's very difficult to to keep the the friendship that usually will at least start the thing off. Yes. It's very difficult to keep it burning that long. So it's sort of incredible that we yeah. were there.
2: It was difficult at one time because we did the Ripping Yarns together and yeah. the BBC didn't want... They wanted me to do a show of my own. And I said, I want to work with Terry. So they said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And, and in the end they, they said, well, I, I think if you just have one python as the star rather than two... Otherwise, it looks like the end of Python or something like that. Right. So, in the end, Terry didn't appear in a lot of the Ripping Yards. And, and that was a very difficult time. Right. I think it was the right decision in the end. But, you know, that was... It was again, Terry being incredibly generous. He was the comp- most undevious person I've ever met. Terry was so wonderfully sort of open. He never... He didn't do strategy. He didn't do sort of cunning which is why he didn't get on with John. (laughs) (laughs) He was such a sort of target for John's devious, cunning (laughs) methods. Um, But it was a lovely, lovely quality in Terry.
0: Yeah, and he he wrote uh, a book about The Knight's Tale, which I I studied for A-level, which was sort of iconoclastic against the the literary views of Chaucer, but was so clearly correct. Yeah, we did use. I met him shortly afterwards in a bookshop, and said, oh, "I did. I used your book in my A level." He said, oh, "I hope we didn't fail as a result." Yeah. No, I didn't. So, th- thank from that. But he was an the, the, the incredibly yeah.
2: clever historian, and he was clever. And also, he, he did his research. Yeah, and he, he would go to the libraries all around the world to do research on the Knights Tale and all that. And so, amongst Chaucer scholars. He was both a sort of admired figure by some yeah. and a kind of feared by others because, you know, they would say, well, he's not really, you know, this is he's got these views totally different to every way everyone has we've all done it. Um and he was in, in he, he just sort of stirred things up brilliantly.
0: Yeah.
2: And um Chaucer's Knight was a a totally different take on you know this this I mean Terry saw Chaucer's was writing ironically on this fair wonderful night and all that wasn't yeah. really that at all Chaucer was sending him up rotten you know Terry saw everybody as <laughs> sort of potential python characters yeah. he liked you know and Chaucer would have been a great python character because he could send up these these very rich people and, and then he found enough in the text to make a case of it and yeah. and it was a lot of scholars said this is breakthrough um, research but it's quite hard to go from comedy into that academic world of yeah. universities and studies and societies and all that people don't like you going in there they see comedians as sort of you know, revolutionaries or something
0: yeah I mean, I mean you've a little bit you've written novels yourself and i think you maybe suffered from that yeah. snobbishness as well because your novels are, are, are great and i think it's very hard for like a literary, you know, people. I, I, yes. I, I think as a comedian as well. I've written plays, yeah. as you've written plays as well, and people are saying, "Oh, he's a comedian writing a play," and then there's a judgment Im- immediately about yeah. it, which you wouldn't get if you. were... Yeah,
2: there's a little, absolute little bit. Stick to one thing. Yeah, you yeah. know, we do plays, we do poems or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying that there's rather lots of poets who kind of really like like me, but but there are there's certainly. I think it's in the academic, the critical world of academia which is very tight world, which is hanging on to um, their... You know, they're the guardians of the reputation of this particular mm. strand of the arts and all that. Which is crazy. You should be able to see any, say anything in any way. You should be able to fail, fail better, as Beckett said or whatever. But there should never really be this standard of this is, this is what is brilliant and you are not it. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I've come across I've come across that as well, yeah. Michael. I think yeah. probably more than you yes. have, to be honest. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I sort of agree. <laughs> I agree. Of yeah. course, everything I do, I feel huge doubt about, and will this work, and will it not work. But to be told that there is something that does work, because we know what it is, that seems to, insufferably arrogant and yeah. intolerable. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry for any critics there. I don't really mean you. <laughs> Hello. they lovely, <laughs> terrific. <laughs> London Review of Books. Fantastic. So good to wrap stuff in.
0: <laughs> no, it is. So I caught a bit of your North Korea uh, <laughs> travelogue as well. You've obviously done... You've been everywhere, as we were talking about backstage, that you're often asked where you haven't been, but um, yes. the North Korea one's pretty fun. astonishing. But I, I saw yeah. the bit... I just actually completely by chance the other day, flipped over and you were on, and you were talking to the guy on the board, the guy with the big... Uh, the military. Oh yes, yes. Case. But uh, you, you were talking about. Um, I, think I started writing it down, so I watched it again. Uh, you know that you. You were trying to talk to that guy. A asking about who, who'd won the war and who'd yeah. lost the war, and, and obviously yes. in, in North Korea not allowed to question those things. No. And increasingly, and, and anywhere else, you're not allowed to question mm. any of your leaders. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Trump is really very much like he could be, he could be leading North Korea. Very well, that's soon. why
2: he got on so well with Kim Jong Un. Yeah, so, despite calling each other awful things, a mentally retarded dotard, yeah. Kim Jong Un called Trump. So at least he got something right. But, <laughs> um, and Trump called little Rocket Man and all that. Yeah. And they traded insults, but they from they came from the same place. They that just this is this is how they how they behave in power. Yeah. You know, you can call people these ridiculous names. Anyway, but you're sorry, talking to this guy on. and just saying, you know,
0: if people yeah. meet each other and you hope people recognise that we're all the same. And you know, if you travel, which you obviously have, and you've met people, you get to hmm. you just sort of hope that this. You're trying to trying to solve this North Korea South Korea problem by just saying, why don't we all be nice to each other and not fight each other? But yeah, pretty. He wet. sort of agreed with you, didn't he? He sort of went, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like the world to be in peace as well you think if you were in charge, if you decided to become a politician rather than a comedian and author, <laughs> we could have it? Yeah. Do you think, Mike? Because you know, I think you'd get vote for if you stood for prime minister. People would vote for you, and then you could just say, "We're going to be nice. We're just going to yeah, say, I mean, let's be nice to each other. Stop lying and be nice to each other." I don't think
2: you could win on being nice to each other. I just, I think you've got to be a bit more than that. <laughs> like, it's worth a try. Uh, the very, very nice party. Let's. Oh, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> When it comes down nice, to the, the North, Let's be nice room. to everybody. You see, I'd yeah. be nice to people in Europe. and That would be terribly unpopular in this country. Yeah. Um, and Germans are rather nice. <laughs> <laughs> the Albanians. Should we, should we, not Albanians. Gosh, we're so lucky we're not Albanians. Uh, so I think I'd probably find a bit problem there. But yeah. um, what was your question? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, see, that's just why I the... wouldn't be a good politician. <laughs>
0: I just think it was very simple and actually the guy, they were all very suspicious of you and then you said this thing to this guy and he shook your hand and he just said, I would like to see a world where it's it's peace as well. It's really what everyone wants. I know it's not that simple and you know it's not that simple (coughs) but it's sort of, it's better than just people saying we're going to blow each other up. Yeah.
2: That was one of the surprising things about North Korea which I have to say, I have a sneaking admiration for North Korea. It's this small country. Okay, you know, they may have terrible concentration camps um, but you don't know. Nobody actually knows. Yeah. And I wouldn't say there's any country in the world that's entirely, um, you know, without some sort of unpleasant, uh, you know, punishment areas or whatever they are. So I'm not, but be that as it may, we didn't see all that, and I'm quite sure we missed out on some bit. But they believe in they believe in themselves and what they can do. They're actually. They're, they can enjoy themselves, they work um, they 're quite intelligent, quite clever they 've done an awful lot. but this is a tiny little mountainous country, um, cut off from anywhere which has managed to sort of survive after a century of Japanese occupation mm-hmm. and ten years of you know, a few, sorry three or four years of american bombing they 've actually kind of survived reasonably intact. Mm. There are not people with guns on the streets. It's not a place that has no humor. It's not a place that's utterly grim and, and, and gloomy, which I thought it might be when I went there. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm still trying to work out in my mind what's going on.
0: But you're always, you know, your travel documents are always about the, meeting the people. It's not a, you're, yes. you're interested about the people of the country yeah. and the way the country works. There's a lovely bit in the, in the North Korea one where you, you're talking to a young woman and trying to explain what your job is, and you show her the fish oh, slapping yes. sketch from Monty Python. Yeah. And I think she genuinely thinks that is your job, not, yes, that, not no, no. that you're a comedian, yeah. that your no, job. Because no. no, was... she asked you if the fish <coughs> were, were yeah. alive. That was, <laughs> I didn't expect that, because
2: yeah. I, I, we were stuck in this airport, and, and Su Yang was very nice, and like, but I was a bit worried that I'd been rather sort of heavy-handed in some of the interviews, asking her too much about the great leaders, which you're not supposed to talk about. And we just run out of things to talk about. And, and so, yes, she asked um, what else there was. And the director <laughs> had, rather surprisingly, brought along the fish lapping dance. Right. And, uh, and it was so funny, watching, watching it with her. And she says, This is what you do? <laughs> yeah. I thought, that's a very good question. So I said, well, I... Yeah, I used to, a long time ago. Yeah. As you rightly say, she had this lovely thing about... But um, the fish, was it dead or alive? She's <laughs> worried about the fish yeah, rather than like you falling
0: in the one. water. Uh, uh, very Pythonic. <laughs> and uh, uh, you're a, uh, you are a big diary writer. You're still, I presume, mm. still writing your diaries. Am I going to be in the diary tonight? Well... <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a hell of a day. LAUGHTER I've been, I've been panic buying in Marks and Spaces. Uh, yeah. So there's obviously got to be something about the toilet roll yeah, situation. Fair enough. Um, uh, that has to come first. It's a tricky time for all of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure if I've got time tomorrow morning, and yeah. I, I'm not promising anything, <laughs> they'll squeeze something yeah. in about, quite, about, what, about yeah. the end of the day. It won't be out no. for
0: a, quite a long time, will it? You're still, you're still coming up to 2010... Your next volume comes up to twenty. No, it won't
2: be out for a long, long time. Yeah, so you no, can say a long, 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 long time. <laughs> I'll probably be. I might die before I've written your name in there. No, that's I so that's a real problem. I'm trying. i
0: I've, I I I've been keeping a blog every day since November the twenty fifth thousand and two. So I've done. I've done a diary every single day. That is a public one, which is slightly different, obviously. Yes. So, but mine, mine goes out on the night. So I think I have. I understand well, that impetus to. To record everything, but it's an amazing mm. thing to. And you don't. And, and, and the, the mm. books you put out aren't the, the whole thing, are they? You edit the. You edit. Again. Oh, you have to
2: edit because I write an awful lot. I mean, it's just recording what you did the day before. And uh, I, I started at sixty nine because my we had a one year old son and I was a smoker at the time, and I, I could you know he'd get on my knee and want to give me a hug and get that cigarette out of the way and all that, and he'd pick up the butt out of the see, ashtray and start eating that, and I thought no. Cigarette smoking and and fatherhood don't work. And I just gave up, really, over about a couple of days. I just virtually gave up smoking cold turkey like that. And I thought, if my will is strong enough to do that, what else can I do? And keeping a diary is one of those things I've always wanted to do. And so I started. And it was very hesitant for the first year, which is now really irritating, because it's all about the birth of Python. Yes. But mostly it's about my son walking and saying his first word and not about John Cleese doing the pet shop sketch <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. But that's all on film anyway, so that's one thing. But I'm, I'm glad I kept at it. I think of the thing about diaries is that you think what you're writing is very trivial, had egg for breakfast, yeah. You know, but you never know in 30 years' time when you know, eggs have sort of poisoned us all or something like that. <laughs> God, they ate them for breakfast. They <laughs> ate them a whole egg for breakfast. So, I mean, just lots of little details in life become far more interesting at a distance. You think, did I really do that? I and mean, we like the fact I'm right about driving through London. I stopped here, parked the car, going into Harrods. Oh, I didn't go to Harrods. <laughs> didn't go to Harrods. That was a slip of the tongue. Um, <laughs> went into Bieber or something like that. Yeah. Bought myself a little outfit. And the fact you can actually just park park your car absolutely anywhere in london yeah and, and that just seemed natural then and, and and now it's sort of you know uh, absolutely possible you have to plan a journey in london several days in advance yes. all the various bits of accreditation <laughs> you've got to take out a bank loan to park it and then you know you're in traffic for four hours getting down gower street
0: it is it, boring I'm, i know no, it's but not boring. someone's got to say it it's not boring it. it's not boring i'm just uh... Meg but, Ryan asked that about. <laughs> <laughs> it what, all went what, wrong what's with what's Meg Ryan. The, what's this the traffic light? Like?
2: What are they yeah. doing in the Tantum Court Road, Gower <laughs> Street area? Meg, I don't know. I don't know. There's a policy now to try and create environmental areas. Oh, you mean like Idaho? No, no, it's, it's kind of just... Um,
0: I was also just <laughs> wanted to quickly mention the Clangers. Put me on to we... Dennis. I want to, I want to. mention the Clangers. You're still
2: talking to. Are you still talking to my wife? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about traffic control in London. <laughs> okay, that's okay.
0: What are you wearing?
2: <laughs> Sorry.
0: You're the new narrator of the Clangers. My ah. children. My son watches that. Yeah. Does that? It was quite. That's. Love that. Well, it's a, and also, I, well, I, I, mean, I love that kind of vaulting of the centuries. But there'll be people in the twenty second century who will remember you reading, doing the Clangers. Well, yeah. That might be that. That might be the thing. That might that, be the thing. That might be the exactly. Thing, but definitely, that might be the thing. That that, Legend, we'll you've got cut. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Uh, are many times, no, the Clangers. I really love doing that. It's such a, a part. Partly because it's such a beautifully produced. Um, series the way they create these little creatures and they were they're quite anarchic Um, and they have their own little world and um, you know it seems to be it's there's a lot of music in it Um, there's a lot of inventiveness there's a lot of color and basically they're quite nice to each other (laughs) it's about a sense of community all these people they might do rather odd things but they all live together and, and, and sort of, um, you know, bang along together on this planet.
0: Yeah, that, that might, might be quite the answer. nice, really. That might be the answer. We all just go and live on a little moon with the soup dragon? Yes, well, it's too, too many nice of people. us, really.
2: There's only about eight clangers. <laughs> 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 80 billion or whatever we've got. Just, they breathe just, very quickly. just too many.
0: Yeah. It, we are. we are completely run out of time. Oh, no. Uh, you're doing a Doctor Who thing as well, I want to mention, with the Torchwood self-help. You play, you play an evil self-help tape.
2: Yes, now that's
0: interesting.
2: Yeah. you're bringing up things no one's ever talked about, which is why you're so good at the <laughs> job you, you. do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 that, I suddenly realised that All was right. a bit too I much. Can, I do only, I I can, admire uh, this man.
0: I admire this man. I can write that in quotes and no one will know that you pulled a funny face afterwards. But no,
2: the torchwood thing was, was, was extraordinary. Quite out of the blue, brilliant really bit of writing.
0: Yeah.
2: And I could be quite menacing, and uh, I love that. It's a bit like playing the character in Brazil,
0: where it's pretty nasty. You know? You're good but at nasty, that's the thing. I mean, everyone says you're nice. Mm. But. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's they, definitely something inside there. They don't know the half of it. Stupid bastards. Well, we're going to have to wrap up, um, but. Uh, I would like to thank you for everything you've done, and uh, you've been an thank enormous uh, influence on my career. I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing without you. Uh, I sort of followed. <laughs> I was in the Oxford Review. I, I watched yeah. Comic Roots Oxford again. Oxford Review. And, yes. I, and I went, oh my God, there's, that's the Oxford Review Jazz Cellar where we first did comedy. Oh, that's Johnson Terrace where we stayed in. Yeah, the, uh, and I thought, I'm, I'm like an unsuccessful Michael Palin. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm like Michael Palin. They went, oh uh, no, fuck oh. off now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm the answer, to the <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's uh, the, the, obviously the work. That, I mean, obviously you feel that about the goons, but the work that uh, the, all the pythons did uh, is incredible. It was wonderful. I, I was saying backstage. It was wonderful. I was very reticent about going to see the uh, O2 gig, and I went to the final night. I made a very last minute decision. I'm very delighted. I saw it. It was incredible. And you were you looked like you were about fifty three. The others looked like they're about ninety four. <laughs> 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 um, <Drunk stroke>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was, that
2: was were extraordinary shows, those, and I didn't think they were going to work out. Yeah. Uh, and I thought we were taking a hell of a risk and could be seen as being amazingly greedy because we're only doing it for the money. <laughs> but actually it turned out to be something much better. It was a real celebration and every was. night um, was different because people <laughs> forgot their lines and the audience <laughs> loved it because they would come in and they knew all the sketches and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And John managed to get up on stage. Oh, that was pretty amazing. Really. <laughs> Unaided, yeah. yeah. The nurses and the equipment all stay just out of vision. You can't just see the tops of their heads. But you can't see the tubes or anything like that. Whips them out. He goes on, does a sketch, and then goes straight back.
0: <laughs> Good. Well, I'm delighted. I'm, I'm delighted you did that. It was a wonderful uh, swan song for the Python guys. Just thank you, NHS, and, for that show. And uh, I'm sure, I'm sure, there's a lot coming up in the next 20 to 30 years for you. I hope we all see much more stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, (laughs) yeah, not over yet
0: (laughs) It isn't If you are going to die, die immediately Because this makes this a very valuable podcast But if you're not, I'd prefer (laughs) 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 Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing sir, Michael Palin. Thank you very much (laughs) We'll be back Uh, I'd like them sky potatoes. (laughs)
1: premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash Ballback slash tour or com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Go com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.